Hey there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast. I'm your host, Crystal, with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. We are here to perform the classic ritual of our people, the top ten games of the decade. Yeah, that's, that is, that, that's the oldest ritual of gamers is ranking games. Whose idea was this? It was mine. Hi, gamer. Oh. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> I thought you loved me. That's a fucked up thing to say to a person that you're married to. Well, here we are ranking the top ten games of the decade. Well, it's not just the top ten, you know. I guess it can be. I mean, we can we can go past ten if you want. Do you still have your top 25? No, I, I deleted it. I only have my list of ten. Okay, I guess that's fair. In that case, you should probably go ahead and present your top ten first. Oh, well, first let's lay down some rules. Let's lay down some background. First rule oh. you can't do a Zelda game. No Zelda games on this list. Right, because what a twist. we are presuming that the let's see one, two, four Zelda games of the decade are the four best of the decade. I mean, it only makes sense. Okay, how four would you or rank eight, those? Depending quickly? on how you look at it. Oh god. Crystal, I looked over Monica's shoulder like four times over the course of this, and I had to be like, baby, you can't you can't include Ocarina of Time 3D for multiple reasons. I have it here just in case. Just in case. No, that doesn't count. That, no. <laughs> but yes, we initially wanted to do 10 each. And I was like, I can't do 10. That's too little. I have to do 50. And then I got it down to 10. But you brought, yeah. you brought 25, Cameron. Monica, how much did you bring? 25. Also 25. We can get it down to 10. That was going to be the end game anyway. I was planning for all of us to read off like our 25 and then to present, to force ourselves into presenting an ordered top 10 list. Uh, well, let's read off one at a time. I guess you two should do two at a time. Sure. So, so how about Cameron, you do two and I'll do one and then Monica does two. Okay. Uh, and, and we talk a little bit about the games in question. Yeah. Have a short okay. discussion about each. And what if there is overlap, as there surely is? Uh, well, that's why you have backups. That's fair. Okay. So um, I just want to start off by saying that 2010 was a hell of a year. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was That was a good year. I was looking at that year. That year had some shit in it. And I had to cut so many things to get down to that. Um, like Bayonetta came out on like the fifth day of the year, and that's maybe still the best playing character action game ever made. And it's got all these really silly parts in it that shouldn't be in it, like the Space Harrier sequence that's six hours long before that you have to go through every time you want to do the best boss fight in the game. And it's like it's still a weird game because it's theoretically uh a story about a woman fighting back against patriarchy, but also it's done really poorly in that sense in a lot of cases but i'm not the kind of person to expound on how bayonetta does or does not succeed as a feminist figure i just like the action sequences and then on the exact opposite end of that spectrum is super mario galaxy 2 um i should mention here that i've also done a thing where i only include one game per franchise that's fair because otherwise there'd probably be too much mario on this list but Super Mario Galaxy 2 was the game that made the cut above the others because it's just a really fun 
level focus platformer that's more challenging than its predecessor. And I almost put 3D World on here instead because me and Monica had a whole ton of fun playing through 3D World and co-op. But ultimately, I gave it to Galaxy 2. And Monica, You didn't include Odyssey? Yeah. Wow. I, on another day... On, like this is all fluid this only counts for the exact instant that i'm saying it and on another day i might say that odyssey or 3d world is the best 3d mario of the decade yes of course this this can only be valid for 8 13 p.m eastern standard time on april 21st 2020 thank you crystal here's my issue with bayonetta yeah it came out in 2009 wait did it in japan yes are we going by Japanese release dates? By the initial release date, yeah. Okay, um, I'll... Do Bayonetta 2? Uh, no, I'm not going to do Bayo 2. I have too many problems with Bayo 2. I have, like, so many fucking problems with Bayo 2. God. It's like the first game is all about kicking the fuck out of the patriarchy, and the second game is about healing your relationship with your abusive dad. Fuck that, and fuck those writers. Uh, what was I talking about? No, um... I'll grab a game that I had previously kicked off into the um, in, into the list of almost made it, which is Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Oh, that's a good one. It's a good one. I like it a lot. It's got the slashy slashes, and it's probably, in spite of its silliness, my favorite Metal Gear story. Or maybe because of its because silliness. Because of it. Yeah, yeah. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance was also on my extended list. Hell yeah. Now, I've ordered my 10 in alphabetical order, and yeah. the first one is going to be Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, the best Ooh. of the Assassin's Creed series. That's the one with the sea shanties, right? Yeah, it's the one where you collect sea shanties, and then you go sailing, and your crew sings the sea shanties. And you're a dreamy, roguish pirate guy. Yeah, you're you're a pirate who looted the robes of an assassin off his dead body and is pretending to be an assassin for treasure. That's really good. Cool. And it you is can drive the Assassin's the Creed. Huh? It's the Assassin's Creed that I want to play the most. Yeah, it has good boat controls. Fight doing the boat fights is fun. It's a good one and it has the multiplayer which is good. I like all those elements you just named. I haven't played that one, but would you say that if I were to play a new Assassin's Creed, because I haven't played one since the beginning of two, would you say that's one of them? Yeah, play play four. Okay. It's it's appropriate for a newcomer because it's about a guy who doesn't know anything about the ancient conflict, but stumbles his way into it. Oh, so it's just like Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So I should do my two next? Yeah. Uh, I just went, like, chronologically. So, in 2010, I guess I'll start off with Mass Effect 2. That's a good one. That's a good one. That was fun. Yeah. I liked choosing certain renegade moments. I think everyone did. You're working too Everybody. hard. <laughs> exactly. Everybody did that one. And then the one where they sh Shepard shoves the person out the window. Yeah. That what a awesome. dick. <laughs> Talk about coming out January 2010 and holding through the whole decade. Yeah, it really did. It was great. It was fun. I I loved playing as Vanguard, even though I am not particularly good at the shooty, shooty, bang, bangs. I remember the first time you played Vanguard. Uh, you were playing through on Insanity, I think. 
and you did the thing where you like flew into somebody and shot them and did the melee cancel with the claymore and you just started fucking cackling because you'd never done anything like that in a game before and they were just flying everywhere and they were on fire. That was great. I think the Vanguard was my first introduction to the concept of healing yourself by killing someone. Uh, which I will now call Zandatsu, as it is coined by Metal Gear Rising. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> which is a theme that continued throughout many of my favorite games of the decade. I feel like I can feel one of them coming. Yeah. Yeah. Was was that where the the concept came to be? Um, the Zandatsu and, and Mass Effect 2 are not the origin of the concept, but they did a lot to popularize them. Hmm. I'm trying to think what was it. I mean, there must be, like, RPGs that had that as an ability. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, ha- having that as a primary mechanic of a game? Um, I mean, anything that had, like, a vampire power in it. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of blue magic in Final Fantasy that essentially does that. Or, I guess, Cecil in FF4. Or Drain. Yeah. Uh, Mega Drain in Pokemon. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about like a specific spell or enchanted item or anything. I'm talking about that that oh. is a main mechanic. You are doing that all the time from beginning to end. Oh, in that case, I don't know. I guess our listeners could inform us on this and cure me of my ignorance. Did you have a second game, Monica? Um, also 2010, uh, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. That's a pretty good one. That's the best Professor Layton. Which yeah. one is that? It is the third of the original trilogy and really just ends like Leighton's story. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like how the third Phoenix Wright game ends Phoenix Wright's whole character arc, only it's done better than that game did it. But even harder because then they did like a prequel trilogy for some reason. Yeah, they couldn't go forward. They couldn't go forward. Because Professor Leighton's story was genuinely over. And also, it's just very sad and sweet in some ways. When is Versus Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney set? It's sort of set in a weird, I guess, sort of present time Professor Layton um, without going past Unwound Future. And then um, Phoenix Wright, I guess Phoenix is probably still like in his first game. Somewhere sequence. like during or after the first game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a like a Dragon Ball movie where it's just kind of set vaguely during some time that's convenient. Yes, you, because Professor Layton is still with Luke and uh, Maya is still with Phoenix. W- so. Would you perhaps call it a Gaiden? I guess so. Yes. That game did not make it to my list, but it, it had the most utterly ridiculous... Leighton-esque twist. Which is saying something. Which because, is really saying- Because Unwound Future had the man- Ooh. Crystal, are you familiar with the series? I don't know anything about Professor Leighton. They're very much worth playing. Each game People has- like them. A huge plot twist. There's a mystery, an initial mystery, and to resolve the mystery- there's something even more absurd. I think I know the twist to the first one. Okay. It just gets like... The second one is the silliest, <laughs> but the third one is the one that will make you go, shut up, fuck you. What about but, the seventh uh, one? <sighs> What's that? The, the seventh one starring Catriel Layton. I don't know. We, we, we haven't, haven't played that We one. haven't played that okay. one. We, we, actually like, we actually disengaged with the main Layton games 
uh, not long after Unwound Future because... No, I played all the prequels. You played all the prequels? Yes, but they weren't as good. Right. Not enough for you to pick up the newest Layton. I mean, it's on the Switch now, so I should. Yeah, yeah. Layton good, actually. But yeah, um, Layton versus Phoenix Wright has like the, the, the craziest premise <laughs> or twist. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Crystal? Oh, it's Cameron uh, next. Yeah, oh, I think it's actually right? Cameron yeah. now. H- horrible. Um, so I'm going to slip right into Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Oh, nice. Which that'll be contentious with a lot of our listeners, I think, because Lords of Shadow actually has a pretty negative reputation, both as a God of War like and as a Castlevania game. Because it's very much its own story about a man coming to terms with his relationship with God after he's experienced a very bad personal tragedy. And the entire story is about him coming to terms not just with his God, but also with his own sins and seeking redemption in a very genuine way. It's a very Christian story in a way that desperately few games actually are. And also the entire time that you move through the world, you're destroying the old world to make it more acceptable to be inhabited by your god. It's a very Catholic story. Yeah, absolutely. I would say Christian in general, but I'm sure that there's certain parts of it that will uh, resonate more for Catholics. But it's also my favorite god of war, period. <laughs> yeah, Lord of the is great. I very much enjoyed that game. Yeah. Must have been that Kojima touch. Yeah. You, I guess so. Kojima actually voiced, um, oh, what was the name of that little um, imp bastard? The Kupabara? Chupacabra? Chupacabra? Yeah, I think he actually did voice the Chupacabra in Japanese. And it was the English director who voiced the Chupacabra in English, or the Spanish director. Lords of Shadow is also on my list, my 25 well, you could talk about how it affects you when you get to it. Oh. Um, next up on this list is Vanquish, which is a very short, very mechanically tight shooter game that is like its whole concept is on managing your heat system so you can go into bullet time and shoot things and bounce off of things and move around environments at extremely high speeds while managing huge numbers of enemies. And you're actually quite fragile, but you can put out so much damage that it barely matters. And it's just it's just pure fun from beginning to end. It's so nice. I can't get over it even now. It's my favorite shooter as a shooter. I felt like I was never able to manage the heat properly in Vanquish. I felt like I was always using too much, but I wanted to use it to do the cool things. But they wouldn't let me because I was using too much. Yeah, the thing about using the heat is that you have to use it in very short controlled bursts because it actually takes a second for the heat to start building up in your suit. So if you use it off and on a lot, you can make it last for a lot longer. It's also really, (laughs) really hard. I would say that my single toughest accomplishment that I've actually finished in a video game was Challenge 6 in Vanquish. That was for real. This is the one where you can smoke, right? Yeah, you can smoke. Don't smoke. Yeah, you can distract in- the robots by smoking. Yeah. It's like you ta- you Sam will take a drag off his cigarette, and he gets yelled at by the uh, person on his codec every time he does this. He takes a drag on a cigarette and flicks it through the air, and for about 
a second, every robot in the vicinity will just like hone in on that cigarette. So you throw it up into the air and you see just 10 or 15 streams of bullets crossing over this cigarette in midair. It's actually quite something to see. I, I think you're up now, Crystal. Okay, next one in alphabetical order is Dragon Age 3 colon Inquisition. Mm. The best of the Dragon Age games. The best of the Dragon's Ages. Yeah, because it plays good and you got lots of pretty environments to explore and do your MMO quests in. And you got the best companions that Bioware's done. Wow, that's pretty strong. Who's your favorite of those? Hmm. The mm. now see you know it's good because that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Varric. Varric, no less. And Varric is actually the dwarf who's also from Dragon Age Two, right? Yes, he's also from Dragon Age Two. Because he's he's uh, he's sassy, but he also cares about people. He's a a rogue with a heart of gold. That's a good thing to have. I like that trope. He's yeah, the humanizing element of your religious uh, Templar state. That's Im- that's important. Is he Actually, better than I he changed is my in the answer. second game? The best one is Sarah. Sarah. Because that's she's the, uh, she's even more the humanizing element of your militaristic Templar state. Right, because she's the anarchist, right? No, she's she doesn't even have that much of an ideology. There are other people who are like, listen... If, if you want to get serious about this, I can teach you how to, like, politically organize. But she's like, no, I I just simply want to play pranks on the nobles. And the people are like, well, that's not going to accomplish anything. Sarah's like, well, she, she doesn't care. She hasn't developed the consciousness yet. Sarah is definitely the um, member of the Dragon Age Inquisition party most likely to have a heated gamer moment. You think so? Yeah, you're uh, right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you know? It'd be soulless. Oh, soulless. But, no, you only call it a heated gamer moment if there's like a 90% chance that they don't do that. If soulless existed in our world, he would just be like one of those really like he would be one of those people who takes away from whatever cause that he works toward because he's way too toxic about it all the time, nonstop, forever. Yeah, Solus' Twitter account would be really bad. Oh, I wouldn't want to go on there. So it wouldn't be a heated gamer moment. It would just be constant. That would just be him. Like, I don't know how to compare Solus in this case because in many ways, Solus represents uh, a badly disadvantaged ethnicity. But then in other ways, not as much, but that's a bunch of stuff that comes up at the end of the final DLC for Dragon Age Inquisition, which was actually pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was the best DLC ever. It's I could see the argument that it's the best one of those that Bioware put out, though I had a very strong affection for um, Citadel. Also, also Leviathan, believe it or not. I never played Dragon Age 3. She sure didn't. I tried to convince her to do it, but she wouldn't do it. I'm sorry. It's okay. You don't have to play every video game. <laughs> I have to play every video game. Um, the next one on my list, Cam already covered, which is Castlevania Lords of Shadow. You can still talk about why you liked it. I liked Gabriel, who is a nice, sad guy who is pretty cute. Yeah. Um, I like that you scourge Satan. 
Oh, man. Spoilers. Yeah, you scourged the shit out of Satan with a whip. It, it was pretty sad that the second one sucked, even though they had Rob Stark's voice in it. <laughs> it might be the worst direct sequel in video games, just in terms of like how precipitously the quality drops. If you God. like Gabriel's face, you can attribute that to Hideo Kojima, who suggested that Gabriel have a more heroic face. Cool. That's good. Thanks, Kojima. The, uh, I forget what I was going to say. You go ahead. No, that, that's it. Oh, uh, you also have, um, oh, what is his name? Captain Kirk. Uh, no, Captain Picard. Yeah. Captain Picard. Who plays Captain Picard? Oh, Jean, uh. Yeah, his first name in Star Trek is Jean Luc Picard. Yeah. Okay, so Captain Picard <laughs> uses the word penchant, and he just says it just like that. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. Yes. Because this game actually takes place in France. And it expe- explains the name Belmont. Belmont, because Gabriel loved to look at mountains when he was young. So when he grew up, he took the name Beautiful Mountain. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Thank you, Jesus. And my... Fourth one of 2010 is Kirby's Epic Yarn. Oh. That's that's an interesting pick. Why Kirby's Epic Yarn? It's not a hard game, but it is very beautiful, and it is very cute, and I like knitting and yarn, and I played through it with Cam, and that was very, very fun. Yeah. It was a nice therapeutic game. Kirby's Epic Yarn is delightful. It is a hoot and a holler. Let's see. Uh, next up, I have the Bioware game that I elected to put on the list, which was Mass Effect 3, which to me is the best of the Mass Effects. Yes, now, I agree. Mass Effect 2 already fouled up the story, and there was no going back from that one, so I don't even tend to think of it in that terms. But I do think that this game has the best character writing in Mass Effect, and it's easily, by far, definitely the most fun to play. Was this the one with all the multiplayer? It sure was. I played that multiplayer a lot, especially with my brother, and it was way more fun than it should have been, but it was also deeply damaging to the entire like landscape of online multiplayer because that game was one of the ones where EA tested the waters on loot boxes, mm-hmm. and it worked out great for them. You bought a few loot boxes. I did not. Didn't Never, you? ever. I think you bought like at least one. I don't think that sounds like me. I might have bought one. I'll I'll say I don't know. I don't know that I can deny that eight years on. But like I put in enough hours I didn't have to pay for it. Because at the time when they were still trying to balance this stuff, it was still reasonable to unlock everything just by playing. And you didn't have to spend any money. And that's how I did it. I just like got good at using specific weapons. And me and my brother played a lot. And we unlocked all the cool characters. And also I thought that the DLC Citadel was like this really the most frustrating thing about mass effect is that the conversation around the ending of mass effect three poisoned conversations around that franchise for the rest of time, unless they do a hard fucking reboot, like treating it like a legend of Zelda game where the last games in the series didn't even happen. Then we're never going to be able to get another mass effect game that isn't still working under the shadow of Andromeda and mass effect three. And I hate that shit. It was a good game, though. And also, I got the Wonderful 101 on there. And the Wonderful 101 is very interesting. The other 13 people who played it will be nodding along to this. But it is my favorite character action game full stop. 
It's got the, it's not quite as well playing as Bayonetta is, but it's a lot more unique because in order to form different weapons, you have to draw shapes either with your finger or with the thumbstick. And the shape that you draw determines the weapon that you're using against your opponents. And you can set it up because you have so many characters, you're controlling up to a hundred characters at a time and you can set multiple groups of them to doing different things. And there's so many different layers to this system and it's so fun to play and it's got a big bombastic story. And it's just, it's just so good. It's so good that I actually backed the Kickstarter for the Switch port. And I got a Switch port that's supposed to be coming in the mail sometime within the next few weeks. I love Wonderful 101. I love it a lot. Uh, my next one is Final Fantasy Fifteen. Now this I would love to hear you talk about. <laughs> Boys uh, trip. I, I, I'm not expect to like this game so much but i did and it has only grown fonder with memory you know you know when you play a open world game and you're like i'm not gonna fast travel yeah i'm i'm gonna get real immersed into this but then after a few hours you're like fuck it i'm gonna fast travel so i can finish this quest right well, Final Fantasy XV is a game where I didn't do that. I just drove the car everywhere. And even though the the four boys are not particularly well-drawn characters, I couldn't help but build an attachment to them just watching them do really mundane actions like reading a book in the back of a car or pumping gas or ordering some eggs at the diner. You know what, Crystal? I'm going to play this video game. And you know what the best part of the game is? Uh, is it that the world's finally ready to see what men are like when women aren't around to shape their behavior? <laughs> yes. No, it's that at the end of every day, when you turn in for the night, either at an inn, a hotel, or uh, at a campfire, your buddy Prompto, who is a photographer, shows you all the pictures they took that day. Aww. And That's every really day nice. he takes like, you know, like 12 to 20 pictures. And it kind of recaps what, what all you did that day. And sometimes people do fun poses in those pictures. And you get to, you get to key, you get to save which ones you like the most. That's really nice. And do you get like a, a photo album or something? Yeah, you get an album. Crystal, would you suggest that when I play this game that I should do my best to sleep exclusively at really expensive hotels because it gives an experience multiplier? You should do whatever you feel would be appropriate for the characters at that moment. Oh, okay. Do you think that I should watch the accompanying movie? Kingsglaive? Yeah. It's fine. All right. How's the character DLC? I haven't played any of that. Oh, okay. I hear they're pretty good. Especially, yeah. um, especially Balthier's. Is Balthier the bad guy? No. No. You Balthier mean, you voice. Mean Gladiolus? No. Gladiolus is the big muscly guy. I'm talking about the butler. Oh, Ignis. Sienta. Ignis. Yes, Ignis is voiced by the same voice actor who uh, did Balthier in Final Fantasy XII. Oh, I guess he is. Yeah, Ignis, a, is, Ignis is cool. He has a very distinctive voice. Yes, a very nice distinctive voice. Gideon Emery, I think? Yep. Oh, he's also Fenris from Dragon Age. Also, the best character in Dragon Age 2. Hey, speaking of Dragon Age 2, that is my next game. Well, that, like, that, <laughs> I just don't know how these things work out like that. That's perfect. Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay. 
Dragon Age 2, which is not my favorite Dragon Age, but it made it on here. Because Dragon Age 1 was before 2010. It was 2009, yeah. But um, I had fun with it. And Fenris was cute. Yeah. You really hated that Frankenstein quest. It nearly made you quit the whole fucking game. I don't like serial killers. And I don't like, I especially don't like serial killers where you are just two seconds too late to figuring out a really stupid thing. And mutilating dead bodies. Yes. Not huge on that one. Yeah. Particularly women. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was okay. I tried to do a lot. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it for what it was worth. It had several party members that I, I didn't really like. But that, I think, was a good thing. Yeah. That's fair. Everybody was just bonkers in the party. Anders, I think, has a strong case to be made for being the best Bioware character full stop. I had... I, I thought Anders was okay, but, like, I had no... He's, I had no attraction to him. He's okay right up until the exact moment where no matter what you do, he holds to his conviction so hard that all the investment that you put into him might explode right in your face. Yeah. No, that's great. That's fantastic. But I was very startled because, like, I liked him, sort of, but then I, I unlike most Bioware, you know, we got to write these characters to, you know, be be attractive. I, I, I wasn't attracted to him. Right. And that was okay. Plenty of other people were. That makes sense. Dragon Age 2 is one of those games that is difficult to talk about because it's such a locus of discourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much like Mass Effect 3. It's weird how Bioware games do this. Uh, But I remember the thing I really liked about that one is the structure of it, where it's set over like 10 years, over three acts. That was cool. And you're not part of like an organization or anything. You're just like a group of friends who live in the city and sometimes go out to loot some dungeons. Yeah. Yeah. And you were just barely friends. Some of you wanted to kill each other really badly. And importantly, all your friends didn't just have relationships with you, but they also independently had relationships with each other. Which is great. Yes. Which is the innovation that this game introduced. Yeah. I, I really liked you know the, the whole you know, over a series of years thing because you have, you know, Hawk start off as a refugee and then slowly, you know, work their way up the social echelons. Yeah, like, the plot of the first act is you want to to do this mercenary job that's going to pay really well, but they won't give you the job unless you pay them an investment of 50 gold first. So the whole first act is you just doing odd jobs to work up the money to invest in the right to do this other job. Yep. And that's great. Uh, the, the story was kind of ham-fisted, the greater story, but... The character moments were good. Yeah, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Yeah, a lot of good character moments. A lot of of, uh, different relationships you can have with your companions. Yes. Man, if only Origins was (laughs) within the last decade, though. That that was Monica's Dragon Age. Yeah. It never recovered. You never played Inquisition! Yeah, okay. Uh, And then the next one is Portal 2. Oh, 2011. A good co-op game, a good single-player game. That was fun. It was. Well-written, lots of fun. Portal. Portal's good. Portal's good. Portal might be better than Half-Life. Yeah, it is. Yeah, 
Yeah. You played Half-Life? I, I played 15 minutes of Half-Life. I don't know if I left the first train subway thing, but... In 15 minutes, probably not. <laughs> no, I think the uh, like some sort of event happened. Yeah, you probably started the Cascade explosion or whatever the hell. Resonance Cascade, I think they called it. But, you know, the, the puzzles were fun. GLaDOS was fun. GLaDOS was a potato for a while. Wheatley was fun. Lots of set pieces in that game. Yeah, it was much more set piecey than the first one, but I don't think that it overdid that too much. No, I think I think it was very well done. I I really liked the the turret in the co-op that protects the humans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that co- that turret actually made you cry in the long ago. Yes, we still talk about it sometimes. Sometimes if I just want to like get her upset, I'll just say, "I have to protect the humans." Oh no. <laughs> Oh, I did it. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. It's okay. Oh, is it my turn? It's your turn. Okay. Uh, Next up is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Um, Having played through two of the classic Donkey Kong countries, which I'm told are generally the best ones. uh, uh, I can't remember if people like Donkey Kong Country 1 or Donkey Kong Country 3 better, but I played 1 and 2. Anyway, I like Tropical Freeze the best out of all the Donkey Kongs that I played. It's just like you could make a good argument that it's the best 2D platformer of all time. And the sound, it's just got a zillion billion levels, and it's gorgeous, and everything in it moves. Every level feels like this huge, fun set piece that you can run through at maximum speed, and there's great rhythm to everything that you do. And it might have the best soundtrack of any video game in that decade. It's just great from top to bottom. Yeah, I remember I tried to play the first World of Tropical Freeze, and I didn't like it. But then Second World On, I thought it was really good. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot uh, going for it, even in the first world, I think. But the second world is where it really starts to turn up the heat. Like, the first world sort of eases you into it. And it, it's, it's good to get through that with relative quickness. But once you get to that second one and the levels start moving along with you, it's really something. Here's my problem with Tropical Freeze. Oh, no. It's not Metroid Dread. <laughs> oh, yeah, they took Metroid's slot, didn't they? Yeah, I can't believe that Reggie canceled Metroid Dread and deleted all the files to make room for Cranky Kong. Oh, <laughs> uh, he ruined the VGAs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great moment. It was fantastic. Jeff wets his face. God, I, yeah. Give me something. Yeah, <laughs> Keely's just standing there like, is this all you've got? <laughs> And Reggie's like, yeah. (laughs) Man, that was a weird five-year period for Nintendo in a lot of ways. Uh, I I love the music for Tropical Freeze. And really, I pondered putting this on my list, even though I didn't play it and didn't really watch you play it, just because the music was so great. Yeah, just the music. And the environmental designs, too, because everything in the background was held up by something. Yeah. had a logical... Every time you looked over while I was playing it, you went, oh, that's pretty. Oh, that sounds really pretty. And that was like the whole experience. But I mean, like the gears or or things coming at you were propelled by something. My next game is actually a little bit of a cheat. um, Because uh, in 2014 also came out what I consider the other best platformer of all time, which is Shovel Knight. And I'm saying Shovel Knight here because when you originally bought Shovel Knight... Eventually, it got upgraded to the Treasure Trove, which is all the Shovel Knight campaigns all at once. 
So Shovel Knight here is inclusive of Shovel Knight, the original episode, Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows, Shovel Knight um, Spectre of Torment, Shovel Knight King of Cards, and Shovel Knight Showdown. And each of those is so good, they could have gotten a place in a top 25 on this list. But they the first release ended up including all of them, so I don't have to make that choice. Shovel Knight is, if you like classic platformers of that style at all, it's fantastic. It's so worth playing. Jesus God, it's so good. I've got like 200 hours in Shovel Knight over the past six years. It's so fine. I love it. It's also the other contender for one of the best soundtracks of that decade. <clears throat> Yacht Club has done a lot to be, you know, to give to their players to add neat, quirky things. And they spent over five years fulfilling their... Oh, six years, because that uh, Kickstarter campaign was in 2013. They spent six years fulfilling all the obligations from that Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, and it they, was gr- they turned their DLCs into just new games. They did. They and just great. made, like, three sequels to Shovel Knight for free. Yep. If you ever get the opportunity, Crystal, and you ever really want some old school platforming that's not too hard and has a little bit more of a uh, new school balance to it, Shovel Knight's a lot of fun. I do have Shovel Knight on the Wii U and have beaten three bosses on it. Those are pretty tough bosses. Let's see. That would put you through King Knight, uh, Spectre Knight, and one of the – oh, the next three are quite, quite a step up from those two. That's a fun game in any case. What have you got next, Crystal? Let's see. Next on my list is Hitman 2. I actually think Hitman 1 2016 is a better set of maps, but all of those are included in Hitman 2. So I'm going to say Hitman 2. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, it's It's... It's a game that I just keep going back to and like doing all the challenges and thinking, oh, what if I did this thing? What if I went here in this costume and set up this trap and killed my target this way? There's nothing else just quite like the modern hitmen. Is this the episodic one? Uh, The first one was episodic. The second one was released all at once. Okay. Am I right in sort of saying um, the goose from Untitled Goose Game is kind of hitman? No, mm, not not quite. I, they're related with Hitman. It with the goose. It's like everyone sees the goose there. The goose is causing trouble, being a stinker, and everyone just has to deal with it. Hitman has this like more surreal tone, where the tutorial mission is like a fake cruise ship made out of wood, and it's supposed to be your your training. Mm-hmm. And this cruise ship is full of. I guess, actors who you are like choking out and assassinating as part of this training theater, but it's real, but it's fake at the same time. And that tone kind of persists throughout the whole game where every level is this like, is this like dreamlike venue where the target is about to achieve all their dreams. And then you are Freddy Krueger slithering through the dream, turning it into a nightmare. So they will be, ironically killed just at their greatest moment of triumph <laughs> see this is kind of that that's the goose to me <laughs> for some reason <laughs> but but that sounds fun uh let's see and we're on to 2012 now so uh first game that i have there is journey 
which was a very fun short indie game. Yeah, but well, that that it is a good description pretty. of it. The music was fantastic. Uh, I was spoiled as to the mechanic, so unfortunately, I knew what it was going in. But um, certainly, I've, I've read and listened to the experiences of people who didn't know the mechanic going in and how how wonderful it was to them. One of the great aesthetic games. Yes. Again, have they made very a game since Journey. Have they made a game? I think that game company. I think so. They've made. Isn't that the company that made Flower? And did Flower come before that? Yeah, I think the, Flower yeah, was that before. Was before. Oh, oh Sky Children of the Light released for iOS last year. Yeah, I don't know. I think there was some sort of a rift between a couple of. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong company, but yeah, it was just a nice soothing. Yeah, Journey Journey feels to me kind of like the the zenith of that era of indie game. Mm-hmm. Sort of yeah. b- before the big boom, but like like the braid to Journey feels like a particular era. And it's like Shovel Knight started the next era. Yeah, kind of. Um, and then the next 2012 game is Sleeping Dogs. Oh, man. <laughs> what a great goddamn game. Crystal, did you play Sleeping Dogs? I love Sleeping Dogs. That was such a great game. Um, I'm I'm not from Hong Kong. I've never been to Hong Kong, but it felt like Hong Kong to, you know, a person who vaguely watched Hong Kong action movies. <laughs> and and that was great. <laughs> it spoke a lot to you as a person of Chinese descent. Yeah, I mean, it just a lot of the different moments, and then um, it Wei Shen's um, experience being, you know, not quite, uh, not quite Hong Kong. He's not quite American, you know, sort of straddling those two worlds. Yeah, that was very much an experience I've I've felt. And yeah, there- th- this this also kind of feels like the zenith of a particular era. Like the decade of GTA three likes, yeah, which I guess might have ended with Saints Row four and still occasionally comes back, like in Mafia three. But but this is the one that was like, instead of guns, you're not going to get a gun until like over halfway through the game. Instead, we're just going to have melee combat, and it's going to be good melee combat. It had good combat, yeah, and it had really like it was really flashy like execution style, yeah. And uh, it was just, it was just a great story. It was genuinely a good story. And I was just so impressed that the the devs had nothing, like they were not Asian in the least. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, who you did, did they consult? Well. Who did they consult with? It was just great. How'd they get Mrs. Chu? She's the greatest. Ah, uh, yeah. She really is. In, in case you don't remember, Mrs. Chu was Winston's mom. Oh, yes. I remember Mrs. Chu. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she, she is... Uh, a woman of few words, but many emotions. Yes. <laughs> and a big cleaver. And a big bone knife. <clears throat> yeah, the I I one of the reasons I like Assassin's Creed is because I just like exploring open world cities and the version of Hong Kong in this game is a fun one to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that this is probably my favorite Grand Theft Auto, so to speak. Like I, I would, I would say I like it better than Red Dead Redemption, which is my other favorite Grand Theft Auto. I'm assuming oh, that that's- you could, you could, do, you could do stunt positions on the car and jump out of the car onto another car. 
Yeah, you could. Uh, look, you can. You can eat the pork bun. Yeah, you could eat a a man who has never eaten a pork bun is never a whole man. <laughs> Just truly great NPC meme lines. Yeah, I learned how to say pork guy from that game. <laughs> oh my gosh! Good yeah. mini games. Decent dating mechanics. I like the whole face thing. Yeah. It's just good. Yeah. God, what a good game. I'm going to have to replay that game. Wei Shin. It's your turn. Okay. Look, um, while we've been talking, I have managed to whittle my game down to a top 10. So because I've already taken up so much time talking about other games that are not in the top 10, I'm going to continue to name them, but I'm only going to talk at length about games that are in the top 10. Um so affordable space adventure is singular to me and that it's probably my favorite co-op experience in maybe any game that I've ever played. Maybe not any game. I had a lot of fun in 3D worlds, but of its type, it was very unique. You had one player. It was potentially three people, but the way that Monica and I played, it was divided up so that one person controlled all the systems of your little spaceship. They determined what kind of engine you were running on, how much you had your uh, heat ventilation open, how far you had your thrust activated, while the other person controlled the actual direction of movement and the weapons. It's the pilot and the engineer. It's basically the pilot and the engineer. And I think it, you, if you had a third person, they would be the gunner. Mm-hmm. But I played pilot and, and Monica played engineer. And you have to develop a language that's almost completely unique to this game because you have to switch back and forth so fast between different modes as you're going through these obstacles in the game. And it was just like, it's hard for me to convey what made it so good. But it's like this game that justified the Wii U hardware more than any other game on the system, full stop. It was so good. Like I, I don't think that I played a better co-op game maybe ever. It would, Everyone should be able to play that game with their partner if they're one of the 15 people who owned a Wii U. <laughs> but but it, you can't even play it fully now because the... Uh, the ending was dependent on the particulars of Nintendo's online system that got shut down a couple of years ago. Like, we finished Affordable Space Adventure... Less than a month before that shutdown. Like, all the messages that were being sent out were, like, goodbye messages, <laughs> where we were like, send help. <laughs> no, we were like, F you guys. To the company to, that sent us F, on this It was like, F capitalism. Page. This is the game that radicalized Cameron. And uh, up next on my top 25, not in my top 10, was Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. This is not in your top 10. I mean, I didn't know what to replace with it. Wow. I know that it's going to be in your top 10. Yeah, okay. Again, this is a spur-of-the-moment decision. This list is only uh, relevant as of 9 p.m. on April 21st, 2020. Okay. Crystal, you're up. Um, hmm. I'm picking one that could have several variations and thinking about which one is the best. I think I'm going to say Jackbox Party Pack number... Three, five, three, three. That's the one with TKO in it. I haven't played that many of these Jackboxes, but I did it once at a party, and that was great. Yeah, the Jackbox game's just a really good multiplayer time. Anyone can play it. All you need is a phone. You, you, you don't need to have... You only be able to 
control two analog sticks. How does it work exactly? Remind me, because I haven't played a Jackbox game in a dog's age. So each one has like five or six games, and you go to jackbox.tv on your phone, and when the game starts on somebody's computer or console or whatever, uh, everyone types in the room code that is, displayed on, that is displayed on the screen, and then you're connected to the game. And then for something like TKO, in each round, some people might suggest uh, like words to put on a t-shirt, and other people might draw things to put on a t-shirt, and then someone else uh, picks a word and drawing to go together. What I really liked about the game is that it allowed for people who were a bit more social or uh, extroverted, and then people who were a bit more introverted, because you could speak out certain parts or just have the game speak it out for you. Yes, there's a role for everybody. That's pretty cool. That's a good... I think that people tend to undersell a good party game. And you would say that Box 3 was the best of these? Uh, it's it's tough because all my favorites are spread out between the boxes. But oh. I, think, I think 3 is probably the best overall. Mm. That's No, 5 is the one I said. Oh, right, because it has TKO. Three. It is 3, yes. Gaspionage, TKO, Trivia Murder Party, Faking It, and Quiplash 2. That's a lot. Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where's my list? Okay, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm leaning in, leaning in. Uh, Fire Emblem Awakening. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a very good Fire Emblem. It was, it had a, it was just a very strong Fire Emblem revival. Yeah. I guess. It was going to be the last one. Yeah. Great ending song for that reason. Yeah. Um, I, I love Lucina so much. That's your daughter. Yeah. Crom was a perfectly serviceable husband. Yeah, yeah, he's introduced in like the most female gazy way possible. And it was just, you know, it, the mechanics were great. The supports were, were, were fun. And it, it occupied my time for quite a while. That is one way to put it. Yeah, Fire Emblem Awakening was on my extended list. That's a game I put very many hours into drew yeah, up think... shipping charts and such <laughs> yep uh-huh a lot of people did that one everybody had gale force by the end of it i just did it based on personality you married oh me um i played through two or three times i remember the first time that i played through i married maribel crystal did you marry crom i i must have during a playthrough <laughs> Just th those family dramas. That's great. Monica does like her family drama. Um, and then another 2013 game, Animal Crossing New Leaf. Yeah. This took up even more of my time. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say what New Leaf was just because New Horizons has just totally overwritten everything. Crystal, did you play New Leaf? I did, and I couldn't get into it. Yeah, Animal Crossing is a game I tried to play back in the GameCube days, and I bounced all the way off of it until New Horizons when I'm now I'm in hard, I guess. I it's hard to think because like there wasn't crafting in New Leaf, but somehow it took up a lot of my time. Yeah, it's because you did the same thing in that one that you're doing in this one, which is trying to breed flowers. Oh yeah, that's and fine. you spent more time on it because you were also time traveling. Oh okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm not doing that now. No, you don't want to get ahead of me. 
Um, it was a fun game. <laughs> That's true. New Horizons is better, so it's hard to say that New Leaf was a great game. But it was. If you get what I mean. Okay, let's see here. Um, next up on my list was... Um, these are top 25, not top 10. There was Dark Souls 3, which I ended up thinking was the best of the Dark Souls games, even wow. though Dark Souls even though Dark Souls 1 had a better story. I really liked like as a gameplay package, I really liked that Dark Souls. Mm. And after that was Doom 2016, which is an extremely good shooter. It's pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. Dark Souls 3. Yeah. I know that in our circles, it's very popular to pick Dark Souls 2, but I couldn't. Why? Dark Souls 2 is the only Dark Souls game that I've only played through one time. Huh. Do you believe that I do not have a Dark Souls game on my list? I would believe that. That's I mean, surprising. It, they didn't make it into my top 10. Oh, did they not make it into your extended list either? They made it into the extended. Okay. Okay, my next one is... It's, well, I was going to say Mass Effect 3, but it was, it was picked... You can say that. Talk about what it means to you. I did. It's the best one. It's got the best (laughs) character interaction. The multiplayer was really good. Shooting the guns felt good. They tried to have queer people in it, sort of. Oh, yeah. They they did make Kaiden by. Yeah. They also had, like, the... Yeah, the toothbrush the, lady. Oh, that the toothbrush sequence is great. They had the oh yeah, that would be. It's, that's one thing that bothered me about Citadel is that it leaned so hard into fandom memes. Yeah, that were that. Now that you brought that back, now that you brought that back, I don't know about this one no more. I I, I tried to think about why three wasn't on my list. What was the name of that engineer? Cortez. Cortez. Yeah. Cortez with his sad dead husband. Yeah. Vega was great. Javik was great. Yeah. Garrus was dead. Uh, I can't believe they killed Garrus <laughs> like that. Yeah, he he just wasn't a good leader, I guess. I <laughs> I guess the whole thing about me liking two more than three is because Thane had more of a role in two. Oh, man. They did my boy dirty in three. Though he went out pretty good. It wasn't the same. No, it wasn't. Mass Effect... All of them, I would say, is one of those games where it's just too easy to have a perfect ending, I think. Yeah. I think, and I think the story is a lot more interesting if you force tragedy into it, but you, you really have to try to fuck up the suicide mission. Would you suggest that the possibility of variance in the story, like the degree of control that you're given over how things go, is to the detriment of the narrative? Hmm. Say that you can't get through the suicide mission without losing two or three people. And what you're really doing is figuring out who those are. Would that be better than the ability to get through it relatively easily without losing anyone? Yes. Probably. I mean, if everybody lives, I mean, the whole suicide mission term. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want it to, I wouldn't want the math to break down where it feels like you're choosing that, though. Yeah, of course not. You would want it to feel like a random thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or be a thing where it's like you have to choose who's making the sacrifice, but the only people who will do it on your behalf is the people who love you. Ah, if they're loyal, they're more likely to die. Or if they're loyal, you can choose them for this part of this suicide mission. 
Because yeah. if they're not loyal, they won't do it. Yeah, Zaid's not going to carry back the the prisoners. Does he he's care? Like, he's like, <laughs> That's are you? A much better approach. He's like, are you out of your mind? So this conversation reminded me that Samara is a love interest in the Citadel DLC. And I'm coming back around to hating the Citadel DLC. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's weird because because everyone can die, they they already made it hard for themselves in Mass Effect 3. But then it worked out where like, oh, Grunt lives in 99% of game saves. So we still have to make something for if Grunt is dead. But most people aren't going to see it. But we I, have I to think make it anyway. That's a lot of Bioware games. They're they're so branched out to begin with that it really fucks up the later iterations. Man's reach exceeding his grasp. What I'm saying is like if if it was more likely for Grunt to die, then that thing you have to make anyway would feel like it mattered more. Hmm. Yep. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on Samara saying hold me now. That's a real line, and that got seared into my fucking brain. You oh, here's romance. the other thing about Dragon Age 3. They made the romances good. You know what? They really did. Like, I romanced Blackwall, and I don't know what kind of crate he was standing on to be looking down at my fucking Kanari two-handed warrior during those uh, sequences where we were both naked. But Blackwall was a very good romance. I would say they're good in two as well, just because... It develops over so much time, and there's built-in places where off-screen events would happen. And two, it's always best to make out with Fenris. <laughs> but I think that there's lots of different options in Inquisition that feel really good. You know what? I feel like I feel like they weren't quite aware of the kind of character that they were making with Cassandra. Was that her name? The Inquisitor? I don't know. Was it? She was in two. Yeah, she was in two. She wasn't a party member. She was in it. Oh. Yeah, she was part of the framing device. Oh, right. Okay. And she becomes a party member in three. A lot of people thought that she would be a potential lesbian romance option. She super wasn't. Yeah, Byra keeps doing that. Now, in fairness, I do like that they actually wrote a character that's just like, oh, oh, that's really flattering, but I'm actually like not into women and it's like it's good that they actually took the time to write that they picked the wrong character to do it with do you remember how the, the criticism of dragon age 2 that it was really unrealistic that four bisexuals would be friends oh yeah i yeah, remember yeah. that and then the 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 gamer guys who were very upset that they were hit upon yeah, by yeah but, but then also with anders it was like he wouldn't reference his previous boyfriend unless unless you had shown no what was the trigger there was something where he sometimes had a previous boyfriend and sometimes he didn't yeah, yeah. i i feel like it was just some writers at bioware really butting heads with legal or marketing or someone and and it was a constant battle through all of these games to have representation and that's unfortunate. But then also sometimes they would do the representation and just fall flat on their fucking faces. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I do remember that bit, especially it's like, how would four bisexuals all be part of the same party? And then uh, my favorite retort to that was, I think, a Twitter post that I read where it was just somebody quoting the whole idea and then saying, I haven't seen any straights in two weeks. <laughs> in Mass Effect 3, it was good that all of the imported romances had kind of reached their mature stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Bioware is better at writing that, but you do have to pretend that everything in the previous games didn't happen the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I would really enjoy a game that's just set late in these characters' lives dealing with established relationships. Something kind of like The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt? Yeah, a little bit. Uh-huh. Only without the option to romance Triss. <laughs> uh-huh. I got nothing. That's it. God, people get so mad at me when I say that. Um, I guess it's... Is it my turn? We've lost track. I've lost track. Oh, yeah. What was, who's, who spoke last? I think that was you, Crystal. I think that was you with Mass Effect 3. Yes. Oh, okay. And wow. <laughs> that was a my game is Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. That was a game. Yes, that, that was a game where they put in many systems to do tactical espionage operations. Yeah. You could, you could make the horse poop. You could... Uh, you do horse stealth by hiding yourself behind the side of the horse when you gallop past a base. You could have your dog rip a guy's throat out. You could, you could uh, put a, a pornographic magazine on the ground, but then actually it's a balloon and it knocks the guy out when he approaches. And kidnaps him. And, and kidnaps him. You could put a balloon on anything. You could get back to your home base by crawling on top of a container and then putting a balloon on it and zipping all the way back. You could collect soldiers and take them back to your home base to torture them until they're brainwashed to work yes, for you. Yes, you do torture them until they join your cult. The portrayal of the big boss cult was pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't know very much about MGS5, but I P- guess... Monica, my- please. MGSV. MGSV. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, well, that's how much I know about it. But what I liked, what some people didn't like was the reveal when, you know, they, they had the phantom pain. And then I guess the third or fourth time it showed, they they slowly brought in the Metal Gear uh, logo on top of it and the little fragments in the title. Yeah. That was great. That yeah, was great the, design. The conclusion to the Joachim Mogren era. And the Phantom Pain, not to be confused with Ground Zeroes. No, that's a different video game, which is not as... Well, it's fun to play, but the story is is truly atrocious, even by Metal Gear standards. One of the best parts of MGSV was the ability to uh, mod whoever you wanted in place of quiet during any cutscene. Only on PC, though. Right, so you could you could see Revolver Ocelot doing the sexy animations. Yes. Or Snake. Or Snake. Or anyone. Please, God, anyone. Yeah, you could also play any mission as any of your brainwashed mercenaries instead of Snake. You could be ashamed of your words and deeds. I think that that quote gets taken out of context a lot, but Kojima was taking some real risk by writing that shit in English in the first place. Yeah. Bless his heart. <laughs> Um, 
Moving on to Super Mario 3D World. Hell yeah. Hold on. There's one more oh. system I want to say okay. about Metal Gear. Please. If you go too long without showering, you're, you start stinking real bad and the enemy soldiers can smell you. <laughs> oh, right. There's a special sequence for that, right? Yeah. If you go too long without showering, when you go back to base, your men will say, boss, you stink and throw a bucket of water on you. I love Kojima. I, I, I think he's really neat. <laughs> I, I I don't. I think he needs an editor to constantly like hit him with a newspaper. But just the the ideas that he has um, are terrific. Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time. Super Mario Three D World. This was a game with the cats. With yes, it's the one with the cats that we played through in co op. With the uh, Victory Road. Yes. That was hard. It was, but you could play as Peach in it. God, can you imagine a 3D Mario game where you can actually play as Peach? I don't have too much to say about it. It, it was, was a nice experience. It had good good jazzy music. Yes. The cat thing was very stupid, but, you know, actually a great game mechanic. I, I couldn't get, I can't get flags very well, so that they could climb. Yeah, very good. Super Mario 3D World is a great co-op game. Did you play but it? In my opinion, Super Mario 3D Land is a better single player game. Ooh. That's a very good stance to take. And I think that probably my brother would agree with you. And on certain days, so would I. There's That game had so much going for it, 3D Land. I wish it was a little bit more popular. You know, there's a bunch of 3DS games I'd like to play on my Switch. A bunch of Wii U games I'd like to play on my Switch, too. I wish that I could play old Nintendo games on my Switch. And uh, my my second game here that wraps up 2013, but technically hasn't really fully come out yet, is uh, Guinevere, the text adventure game. Oh, yeah. By Gene Ta- Townsend. Uh, what's, what site is this on? Choice of Games. Oh, okay. Um, I, I've mentioned it on the podcast before. It is just a very fun, enjoyable romp. <laughs> It's just a good choose-your-own-adventure. It's a great choose-your-own-adventure and with a million variations, and it's still like in episode two or whatever, but the fragments that we have occupied like a week of my life in a very good way. And it's genuinely pretty well-written. Yeah. Uh, the the writer-creator revealed that the uh, the system that she puts the game in now has changed so much that it's going to affect her ability to release the rest of it. Oh. But she's still plugging away slowly, so that's where we're at now. Guinevere. Guinevere, yes. Guinevere. But I, I recommend everybody play it if you like Arthurian Legend. And if you don't like Arthurian Legend, it's actually just a very open you know you can do any not anything but you can do many different things and play the character of guinevere however you would like oh is it my turn now yep yeah okay next up on my list is kirby planet robobot and uh kirby planet robobot is for me the best kirby game it also most firmly establishes kirby a longtime ally of the proletariat as an actual defender of the natural world against the forces of colonialism which i appreciate and also, you get to steal robots built by evil corporations and man- dismantle those corporations with the robots. And at the end, you end up fighting a machine god because that's just how these things work in Kirby. And uh, it's it's just good. 
It's just the best Kirby game. It's a fun, solid platformer that's better in terms of its difficulty balancing than most Kirby games and that it's accessible for younger players, but it still feels a little bit challenging as you get near to the end. And of course, the secret stuff that's just for the hardcore players is the hardest that it's ever been in the series, which makes it the real shit. Uh, True Arena and Planet Robobot is so goddamn hard. But I love Kirby, and Planet Robobot's my favorite of the Kirbys. So, I mean, like, yeah, that that's where it is. It sort of had, like, a the true arena or whatever had the Fire Emblem slash mother, like, sad reveals. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. That's one of the things about uh, Kirby games of the past ten years or so. Crystal, did you play any of these? I played Triple Deluxe. Okay, I can't remember if this was a thing in Triple Deluxe. Uh, let me know if it is. But in newer Kirby games, it's a thing where if you pause during a boss battle, you get a little bit of flavor text about that boss. And if you pause during the alternate form boss battles that you go through during New Game Plus or the arena modes, then you get expanded versions of that flavor text. Oh, it does a near. It does a near, yes, absolutely. I guess it could even be taken from Nier. But anyway, that's actually where most of the lore from Kirby games from the past 10 years has come from, is that flavor text that you get with the secret harder versions of the boss battles. Huh. It's actually quite fun. I like it a lot. Also, Susie's a great secondary character in these games. We just like games with like really fragmented lore that we have to like delve into. I really have to get you to play Dark Souls at some point. Maybe. Dark Souls lore is good. It's pretty fun. I think that that first game, to me, still has the best lore of any of the Dark Souls's. Kirby games are always delightful. To me, the strange thing about them to me is that they're actually pretty mechanically complex. You have a lot of different moves in Kirby's different forms. Yeah. In the modern games. But they're also so easy that you, you barely ever get to use any of them. A lot of people used to argue that there's two separate schools of Kirby game. Uh, there's the school that Kirby's Adventure belonged to, and then there's the school that Kirby Dreamland belonged to. And uh, one of them is more mechanically complex than the other. Uh, Kirby Superstar is on the mechanically complex side because you had all those different moves you could do with the uh, headband moveset, the fighter moveset. And, uh, yeah, it's it, all those moves are actually useful, but you only see the use of them when you go through the secret true arena and things like that. What, the stuff that's just to challenge you. That's why I prefer arena to superstar is that arena is more simple, but that feels more appropriate for the levels. That makes sense. So, uh, yeah, and then after that, um, the game that I almost included on the top ten over Kirby Planet Robobot is Fury. Fury is an extremely stylistic uh, boss gauntlet indie game where you have these huge, difficult, really fun boss battles that are separated by long, fixed speed walking segments. And it's just got this really great EDM soundtrack and it has easily the best visual design of any game of its kind. And it's like, God, God, it's so good and I can't get anybody to play it to talk to me about it. Oh, this just came out? This came out last year? No, it came out in like 2016, 2017. Oh, you just played it last year. Yeah, but it's really good. It even had a very good story. Yeah, it did. The characters in it are all quite interesting. 
and a terrific soundtrack. Everyone within the sound of my voice, feel free to play Fury. It has many adjustable difficulty modes. It's very nice. It's challenging if you want it to be, and it's quite relax. It's never relaxing, but it's accessible if you want it to be. Accessible in terms of its difficulty. I, th- I think the developers went on the record to say, like, of course we would put in an easy mode. We want everybody to play the game. We want everybody to be able to beat the game. Yeah, that was nice. Some some gamers had a. a they upset. got mad about it. Fury good. Fury is good. You know what else is a good game? What? Pathologic two. Now I have been interested in hearing you talk about this one. So, Pathologic two is both a remake and a sequel to the 2005 video game Pathologic. It is a uh, 3D first-person survival adventure game where you are a a surgeon who is returning to his hometown and there is a plague ravaging the town. And the town is like out far on the eastern Russian steppe and has like its own unique culture and history and very mysterious goings on that may be related to the very mysterious plague. So you are trying to help this town get through this plague while also solving the mysteries going on in the town. And also trying to be alive. Yes, also trying to be alive because there's not that much food. The food train hasn't come for a while. Uh, The water keeps getting poisoned. Uh, the plague is killing everyone, and there's just bodies in the streets, and everything's on fire, but you still need to do surgery because you need to do surgery to get paid so you can afford some food, so you can do some surgery. Is this and the sort of game where you have to eat and stuff? Yes. You have you have thirst and hunger and exhaustion and such. Cool. And at any, any given point, there are like a dozen different things you could be doing all of which are urgent, all of which are important, all of which are like main quest story related things that will involve life and death uh, consequences. But you only have time for like five of those. Oh, that's and stressful. really, if you want to, if you want to keep ahead of your hunger and thirst, you only have time for like three of those. So choose what's important to you. You like games that are about making choices, but really about making choices. Yeah, like what how Mass Effect should be. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I did put that on the list, I think. The list of games for me to play. I hear that it runs bad on the PS4. Yes, do not you sh- I you should not play it on a console if you can avoid it and even on PC it's doesn't run very well. I And do you need to play the first game? No, you do not. Okay. Well, yeah. I look forward to watching Cam play through that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very well written. It's a fun watch. My turn? Yeah. Uh, this is where I put in The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. Um, I, I'm startled this isn't on Cam's list because we really liked it. Yeah, it's a good video I, game. I do still really like it. Um, Yennefer is amazing. Yeah, Yennefer's the best character in that game. Geralt is really great. Yep. Um, Siri is terrific. I think the the game's only failing is that it's not really the books. Y- that is, it's not the books. 
And the books really should be uh, what you go through to experience this uh, universe. Yeah. But in, in a game format, it's it's neat. It's it's beautiful. Um, there's also a serial killer sequence here that was not terrific. But there, uh, there's two different uh, quests in that game that are repulsive. Yeah. There's uh, Get Junior, which I think is even worse than the serial killer one. Yeah. And then what was the other one? Carnal Desire or something? Yeah. Yeah. Neither of those are great. Uh, they involve violence against women in a way that the books never did. Nope. But, I mean, aside from those points, it had a grand sweeping story that I really enjoyed. A lot of funny, intimate moments. Yeah. The Witcher is so weird because for so many people, it's com- the games have completely superseded canon interpretations of the books. Yeah. Is that why that's not on your top 10? No, no, no. I, it's mostly not on my top 10 because I knew it would be on yours. Okay. And that gives this gives me more space to talk about other games. That's about it. All I wanted to say. Romance Yen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back around to Cameron. So, uh, next two on my list are two games that were in the top 25 but did not make it to the top 10. There's Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, which is a deeply scary game set in Louisiana that happens to star my family. Very good. Uh, Has resulted in the revival of Resident Evil as a series. And I like Resident Evil 7 so much that it pushed Resident Evil 2 Remake off my top 25. Because there can only be one per. And I like that game a lot. Uh, Pausing that for a moment. I didn't get to do my other game. Oh, I'm sorry. It was just Affordable Space Adventures. Oh, go on then. Um, Cameron told me to do the diesel engine, but we should have done the electric engine. And then we blew up. You could be describing like 30 incidents. <laughs> uh, or Cameron told me to do the, the electric engine, but I did the diesel engine and then we blew up. Yeah, that can happen. What did we call? We just call we just called it electric, right? Activate electric. Yeah. And then instead of like the combustion engine, we just called it putt putt. Yeah. So we'd be like, turn on putt-putt, because it made a really loud putt-putt sound. It sounded like a shitty diesel engine. And the electric one had this nice hum to it. And it's like you could control, like you had to keep track of your heat and your sound output and the electrical field that you were giving off. Because and then the guns, which wasn't a gun. It was like a little flare. It was just a little flare that just like pop. At the few chase sequences in that game were deeply terrifying. What a good goddamn game. Resident Evil 7 starred my family. Uh, Near Automata has a great soundtrack, and I'm still trying to get Monica to play it. That's a lot of your list. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, don't be. You don't have to play every game. I do think that you would genuinely like this one, though, but I understand that you don't really like the character designs in it. It's it's pretty. You're up, Crystal. Did you do your second game? Yeah, I did Resident Evil 7 and Near Automata. Oh, and Near Automata. Okay. Neither of My them are in the game top ten. Is Prey parentheses twenty seventeen. Oh, Nier didn't make it onto your top ten either, huh? No. Nier was wow. not in my top twenty-five or my top thirty-five either. Wow. Woo. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun game. Uh Prey to me is kind of the zenith so far of the immersive sim genre. Oh, the or, or what you might call the zero four zero four five one genre. Zero four five one. 
because they all have a keypad and the first they all have locks that are opened with keypads and you gotta search for like a note that has the code for the keypad and usually the first one is 0451 as oh. a reference to Deus Ex. Got uh, it. Is Thief yeah, included in this genre? Uh yeah, yeah, I would say Thief is Thief is part of the genre. Okay. But this one is the Zenith. Yeah, and the thing the thing about it to me that works is that every every object and resource on the station is persistent. So like it you're you're trapped on a space station that's invaded by aliens, you got to get out of there. That's that's the basic premise. And every part of the station is like to scale rendered because it's just a space station. You can do that. It's not that big. That so makes at the sense. beginning, you're gathering resources like health packs and ammunition and such and such. But there's only so much on the station. And when you're when you're looting all the cabinets in like the first hour, those bullets are not going to come back in the last hour. Hmm. So it it the amount of resources on the station are like perfectly tuned such that you you always feel like you have just enough but you could use a little more and every fight takes just enough out of you that you're like fuck I need to get more before I can survive the next one. That's very strong. How scary are the aliens? Uh they're they're not that spooky in my opinion. There's some spooky moments but it it's not I, I wouldn't call it a horror game per se. Even though you're in a, a restricted environment and they're hunting you. Yeah. I it, It's more like uh, they become less scary as it goes on, I would say. But other things take their place as things you should be scared of. <laughs> like what? Like yourself. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Like the darkness that exists in the heart of men. <laughs> okay. The horror. The horror. Should I talk about the story of the game? Sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about the story of Prey. You know how in these types of games, there's often like a, like an Andrew Ryan type of character. Yeah. Some dickbag. Yeah. Like the, the maniacal, vaguely charismatic guy who gives you a bunch of speeches about the future of mankind or whatever. Uh-huh. At the beginning, you have amnesia, and it seems like your brother is kind of that guy. But as you explore the station and listen to the audio logs, you realize, actually, you were that guy. It was you all along. No, your your brother was the voice of reason. Oh. And for complex reasons, you keep having, like, your memory erased every, every, like, frequently on a regular basis. But each time you have made like a backup of yourself at that moment. And now all the AI backups of yourself are competing to influence you. Cool. That's frightening. And some of them are like, we need to destroy this station. Some are like, no, we need to get off this station. And some are like, no, we need to save this station. And so it's like all these different versions of you competing with each other and trying to kill each other. Wow. That's awesome, actually. You have to decide what kind of person you're going to be in this iteration of yourself. When did this come out? 2017. 2017 was a fuck of a year. It's a good year. Is it my turn? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I guess I'll be the first. Uh, I don't know if this is on your list, but Undertale? 
Undertale. Undertale. Um, I, I guess a lot of people may have this as their top game. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a definitely a contingency of people who, for whom this is the one to pick. Yeah, I had fun with it. I, I I don't think it's the best game of all time, but it was a solid game. I enjoyed it. It gave me a lot to think about. I have no desire to play it again or alternative versions of it. Right. You'll Sense never. It's funny. You'll never do a kill everyone run. No, the in jokes and lore are are great, and that's about it. The bit the bit where you date Papyrus is pretty decent. Where that uh, Ace Attorney music playing. Yeah. You got uh, another game on there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Fire Emblem Fates, which that's definitely the black sheep of that family. It's the second Fire Emblem on my list. Um. I spent a lot of time with it also, and I really, really liked... Xander. Xander. <laughs> yep. And, you know, uh, the story in Birthright was mostly okay, and the the gameplay in the other one was really strong. The and- gameplay in Conquest might be the best that Fire Emblem gameplay has ever been. And it had a lot of awful parts, but, yep. you know, Xander. <laughs> Good outweigh bad. One character can just... Do a lot Run a game for me. Yeah. That was Alistair in Dragon Age Origins. That's a lot. I know. Yep. Um, that's two? Yep. Okay. Uh, Splatoon 2 is my favorite uh, multiplayer game of its kind. Easily my favorite multiplayer shooter. Um, if we're including the Octo expansion here, it might have my favorite shooter campaign outside of maybe Vanquish. It's just fantastic. I played it with my brother a lot. And I love the way that shooting and movement are incorporated so intimately in Splatoon, where your ability to fight well is also tied into your ability to move. So there's this building effect where the better you are at fighting, the better you get at your opportunity to move. And the more mastery you have over your movement options, the more advantages you have in fighting. Because movement, if you do it right, is also stealth in that game. And it's just Splatoon 2 is better than its predecessor in every single way. And I loved its predecessor. And the Octopath DLC might... Not Octopath. The Octo expansion might be my best game of 2018. Wow. Yeah. Full stop. I just loved it a lot. Splatoon is really good. Did they release in August? Uh... (laughs) In, in, in 2018, the Octo expansion? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. Why do you ask? That would be the eighth month of 2018. Oh, you know what? Let me check. <laughs> That's a good catch. No, it was June. Damn it. These cowards. Or October. Well, in that case, it released... Oh, yeah, October would have also been good. But, yeah, it, it released a year after Splatoon 2. But it's very good. It's like people thought that the Splatoon 2 campaign was a little bit too lean for what it was, even though it's an excellent game that's mostly about the multiplayer. But then the Octo expansion came out, and people were like, this is the best platforming game since Mario Galaxy 2. Is wow. How pe- is how people talked about the Octo expansion. It capitalized so much on the mechanics of that game. Oh, God, it's just so good. Because the way that works is that when you fire your gun, you lay down ink on the ground, and you can walk around... But you can move through the ink by turning into a squid. And by using the ink, you not only move faster along the ground, you can also go up walls. And 
it opens up all these different movement options where movement in Splatoon is so much more intricate and involved than in the majority of shooters. It's it's hard for me to talk about it without getting into superlatives, but I really enjoy it. It's a great... It was so amazing watching the initial trailer for the first game and just knowing that it would be a thing. It's like you watch and you go, this could be a thing. And then it comes out and it turned into a real thing. It's like the biggest new IP that Nintendo's released in years and years. But it's just, it's it's so good. It's just so good. Uh, also, uh, not quite in the top 10, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which is my favorite XCOM. That's you it. know what was also a great DLC from 2018? Ooh. What? Prey Moon Crash. Oh, was that good? Oh yeah, I think it's arguably better than the main game even. Oh, was that the was that the vaguely roguelike one? Yeah, so the premise is you're playing through a simulation of five different people who have to escape the station. And your ultimate goal is to have all five people escape the station in one playthrough alive without dying. That but, is a hell of a goal. But the, but the concept of everything in the world being persistent still applies. Oh. So if like the first person leaves on the shuttle, that shuttle is gone. The second person can't take the shuttle. They have to find Ooh. a different way. If the first person vacuumed up all the health packs and ammo that is gone, those health packs and ammo not be there. The other person has to find some more. So you have to like plan your route and make sure you're leaving enough behind for the next person. It sounds very demanding. Yeah, but it's real good. And and do you just get a bad end, or can you just not finish the game if the last person doesn't get out? You just start over. Okay. Interesting. That's a really strong concept for a DLC. Yeah. I'm guessing that that's not your next actual game, though. No, my next actual game is... Sekiro Shadows Die Two Times. <laughs> oh, so this was your Souls-like. Yeah, it's not a Dark Souls game, but it is a Souls game. It is the the best action game of the decade. Ooh. Wow. Tell us it why. It feels really good to parry the attacks and then parry them again and over and over again. And then grab their sword and then step on it. And then jump on their head and bonk them with a kick on the way down. And then do that enough that their posture is broken and you can stab them. You're speaking Cameron's language here. That is speaking my <laughs> language. That That's a very good description of a gameplay loop. Now, yeah. I, I've heard that it's part of how it differentiates itself from Dark Souls is that Dark Souls is partially defined by the fact that you can come up with many different character builds. but And even Bloodborne is like that. But Sekiro is not. Yeah, instead of having a dozen different character builds that are okay, you just have one that's really, really good. Ah, that's And there's still different strategies because of your uh, prosthetic tools, but your main thing, your bread and butter is always going to be parrying with the sword. And were people generally okay with the fact that there was only one main way to play? Or were they like, oh, you can't Dark Souls it? It was a very well-received game. Okay. People did enjoy it quite a lot. I don't keep up with the uh, that genre. People like it a lot. Okay. Uh, Kirby Planet Robobot made it onto my top 25. It was fun. Fun I, game. I, I liked Epic Yarn better. Solid 8 out of 10. Yep. 
Um, after that, uh, Anatomy? Oh, yes. Anatomy, which I know as the sad house game. You should explain to the audience what Anatomy is. Uh, Anatomy is a Ichio game by Kitty. I can't forget. I forgot the second part of their name. Um, I think it's like $2 or something. And you, you are navigating a very scary house and uh, phenomena happens and you find these tape recordings and you play these tape recordings and you listen to the story of the sad house. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't play it because I don't play scary games. But we watched I, a very good LP of I it. I watched a very good LP of it and it was fun because they were total cowards about it and that was great. Um, but it, I, I really liked it. It ruminated on the nature of homes. Yes, the nature of homes. And how different they are when people don't live in them. Yes. Which is part of what makes Monica refer to it as the sad house game. She feels for this house very strongly, even as it's killing the player character. Yeah, well. <laughs> it can't help it. It's just a house. Yeah. It's a big sad house that made it go bad. And a lot of people really liked it, and I wish it had a lot more people trying it out. Those of you who like scary games should. Speaking of scary games, I almost put Alien Isolation on my top 25 or even top 10, except that it's so fucking scary, I haven't played more than 30 minutes of it. <laughs> this game looks good. I hear that it's good, and the bits that I played it, of it are very good. The last part that I played is the part where you get to the train, and it takes the door like 40 seconds to close. <laughs> Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it is. And you know that the alien is back there and it's following you. You don't know how far away it is. And it's just taking the door so long to close. Crystal, have you played it? I have not played this. Okay. It's a game. It's a scary game. And the only reason it's not on here is because I can't play it. And I haven't watched an LP of it. I, I feel like this is like scary games are my spicy food. You know, I'm missing a whole genre because I just can't, yeah. even though I know intellectually it's good. And if the spicy food is good enough, I will bear it. Yeah. <laughs> but, God. Okay. Um. Oh, okay. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey. I think that you've done your two. Did I? Yeah. Oh. Robobot and Anatomy. Oh, sorry. You went and then... I didn't. I'm, I'm, lo I'm losing my turns. Sorry. Yeah, Alien Isolation isn't actually on my list because oh, okay. I didn't finish it. Uh, what is on my list is Metroid Samus Returns, which is a remake of Super of Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Uh, it's a bit of a divisive game because it's a much more segmented game than later Metroids like Super Metroid or Metroid Fusion. Mostly Super Metroid, though, because Metroid Fusion is also heavily segmented. But it's my favorite 2D Metroid or Metroid-like full stop. And maybe Hollow Knight would be on here, but I didn't I didn't play enough into that to really feel like I could pass judgment on it. But I love Samus Returns. I played through it about five times, and I beat the hardest difficulty in under two hours, which is how you unlock the Super Special Zero suit in it. And I took a screenshot of it, and I put it up just before they took down the thing where you could share those screenshots, and I forgot to save it to anywhere, so I don't have it anymore. But rest assured, I fucking did it. I looked it up. I could actually record a speedrun in that game and get it posted in a certain category because people don't speedrun that game. But it's very good. And if you like 
Metroid games, it's a good Metroid game. Don't listen to people who tell you that you have to counter all the time. The counter indicator is also a sign that you can duck under enemies and just walk by them. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just go. It's good. And the next game on that list is Butterfly Soup, which is completely unlike every other game on this list in that it is a text adventure. Um, I really like shoujo stories. I really like Slice of Life. I like teen romances. I like stories that are about depression. Butterfly Soup is fantastic. It's just really good nonstop. You should play it and you should give the creator money. That's it. Would you say this is the zenith of the modern VN boom? Now, see, here's the thing. I don't play enough VNs to pretend to have any kind of concept about what VNs are supposed to look like or what the general trends in them are. I play Doki Doki Literature Club, and I play this. And those are my big VN games. Like, Guinevere is a text adventure, which is very similar. It just doesn't have the visual element to it. And I like it a lot. For me, it's the zenith of visual novel games that I've played. But I don't know if it's the zenith of the VN boom. It's definitely not as popular as, like, Dream Daddy or whatever the hell, I think. I know a lot of VN heads really like Butterfly Suit. Well, they would, right? It's it's just a story about a bunch of young queer women. Yeah, that is popular. And it's about a bunch of young non-white women, which is... A, that was a, nice. I yeah. appreciated that. Yeah. Monica... I, I liked the game, but it was utterly like a sort of a... That was nice, moving on sort of thing. And I, I'm constantly surprised at how affected you were by it. Oh, the part that really got to me was the part in the empty gymnasium. And anybody who's played the game knows the part that I'm referring to, because it fucked me up real bad. And I let the developer know how bad it fucked me up, and she liked my tweet for it. So I guess that was a good thing. Anyway, Butterfly Soup's good. Uh, give money to independent creators where you can. And my final game is the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Did you do two in a row at some point? I don't think so. All right. Tell us about I, Skyrim. I've, I've been playing a lot of this game <laughs> lately. I've been doing mods on it on the PlayStation 4, which has been an interesting experience. But it reminded me how much I like these games. Wait, how do you load a mod onto the PlayStation 4? There's a system for it now. Cool. Yeah, they, they, they've officially supported mods on the PlayStation. And maybe the Xbox? Yeah, it's it's more robust on the Xbox because Sony does not allow external assets for the mods. What kind of things have you got running on there, Crystal? I got stuff like there's more trees and there's more grass. And that actually goes quite a long way. And uh, the weather's different, which changes the lighting. And the magic's better. Got some cool spells. Stuff of that nature. Where would you rank the... Because, of course, this is the only Elder Scrolls that released in that decade. That's not true. There's also the Elder Scrolls Online. Okay, this is the only <laughs> single-player Elder Scrolls that released in that decade. Wasn't there, That's like, a That's not true. Week? There's also the Elder Scrolls Blades. Yeah! Monica called it. Do you need me to say main... A numbered? Yeah. Okay, this is the only numbered Elder Scrolls that released in that decade. That's true. Yeah, no, Oblivion's a better game. That's my Elder Scroll of choice, and the reason for that is it's the first one I play. Oh, okay. Can't- it's got the, the Mario Kart syndrome. Sorry, can we call this five, or is it V as well? No, it's five. No, this one's five. You can okay. call it five. Okay. Yeah, that, that V is the Roman numeral for five. Yeah. In, see, the fifth Metal Gear Solid game is Peace Walker. Oh, God. Uh, okay. But the V in MGSV isn't a five, it's just a V. Yes, and the V has various meanings. If you hear someone say MGS5, they are a fool. 
I did that earlier. Yeah, that's why we corrected you. Okay. But th- we're talking about people who play Metal Gear. I see. You're staring at me funny. <laughs> I got nothing. It's like, I don't expect you to know anything about Metal Gear. I don't think anybody does. Crystal, is this the best of the Bethesda games of this decade? Of this? Oh, yes, easily. Easily. Not even close. What? What? Mm, online might be better. People really like online. Have you played it? I played a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I follow a few people on Twitter who really enjoy Elder Scrolls Online, but as an experience to have by yourself, there's a lot to be said for it. Online's an MMO? Yeah. Huh. Yes. It's uh, the Star Wars The Old Republic of Elder Scrolls. Okay. But playing through uh, The Outer Worlds last year, which I thought was very disappointing, made me want to go back to this game. And they remembered, oh, yeah, th- these actually can be good. They, no, no one actually makes them quite like Bethesda does, except for that one time the Obsidian made New Vegas, where it's it's a first-person perspective. It's as kind of light, immersive sim DNA, where every object has physics on it, and you can pick everything up, and you can steal things and pickpocket people. And look at things very up close in detail. Are you looking forward to the sixth one? We don't yeah, know. We don't be fun to play in seven years. <laughs> I was about to say we don't know anything about it yet. Is this the, the Bethesda is the one that like briefly announced the six and then was talking about some other thing, right? Yeah, Starfield. That's oh. the next game they will release is Starfield. After Fallout 76, which was a full-blown, all-effort, all-hands-on-deck Fallout title. Ah, right. That's the part that you remember. Yes. Okay, so we, have, because of our 25 games bullshit that we've managed to walk into, Crystal's now being left behind. Monica, I want you to talk about all the rest of your games, and okay. then I'll talk about all the rest of mine. Sure. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey. This was a very fun Mario that I actually played all the way through. It's good Mario. Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Just a very wonderful game about uh, mental illness, about uh, the Gaelic. Gaelic? Pe- Gaelic people. Gaelic people. It's a, it's a really good uh, take on Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, Metroid Samus Returns. That was a good Metroid. I hope there are other Metroids in the future. Yeah, I'm betting on a new 2D Metroid this year. Um. Into the Breach, that's which... A, uh, that's one of them indie games that's good. Yeah, a very fun indie game where you play again and again, and it's a little grid-based. Uh, you you pilot mechs and, and fight bugs. Yeah. And uh, really good story, oddly enough, because it was also by that guy. Chris Avial? Yeah, that was funny. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, is that on your list? Wow, it didn't make the cut. Okay. Well, I mean, like, here's the thing. It's on yours. Okay. We're going to do the thing soon. I love Three Houses a lot. The only thing that could overwrite Three Houses was Animal Crossing. And, and that's unfortunate because usually you want Animal Crossing to kick in first and then Pokemon to overwrite the Animal Crossing. And then Fire Emblem, which has a, an endpoint. Yeah, there's nothing right now to knock animal crossing off of its pedestal so monica might be stuck in it for a while yeah but uh great story play crimson flower crimson flower true path uh ring fit adventure which that's a good game is has been keeping me uh 
exercising somewhat during these COVID times. Yeah. And uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Really, just put any Pokemon there. Good Pokemon. Latest Pokemon. Good Pokemon. Good Pokemon. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I've got The Evil Within 2, which to me is the true successor to Resident Evil 4. That was ne- very nearly in the top 10. Uh, I got Monster Hunter World, which is a... It's Monster Hunter. If you know Monster Hunter, it's Monster Hunter. If you don't know Monster Hunter, it's way too big. But it's a lot of fun, and I always use the hammer, and my favorite monster is Nerdigante. Uh, Dandara is an excellent Metroid-like that is just so aesthetically pleasing. I love everything about it. Everybody play Dandara. It's great. And they just released like a free update that remixes half the game. I need to sit down and play that. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is my favorite fighting game, and it's easily the best Smash Bros. Uh, I'm still maining Ganondorf. Ganondorf since Event 29, baby. That's the bestest. And Fire Emblem Three Houses. Uh, Edelgard's the best character in Fire Emblem history. Uh, she's really good, but all the lords in this game are good. There's a few characters who are written perfectly. Uh, Edelgard, Dorothea. There, there's a few of them. There's a few of them. Linhart. Linhart's great. My perfect evil son, Hubert. The Black Eagles. Black Eagles. The end. Okay. <laughs> now, let's do the thing where we list all of our top tens here in the document. I'm just going to... I'm just going to shift mine over real quick. I have mine in bold here. It's not 10. I'm okay with that. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Actually, now that we've talked through them, I I probably will bold other things. Go ahead. Can you copy and paste into the document that I sent to you? I'm on my phone. Can you share the link with me real quick? Okay. Crystal, this is what we deal with every day. Every day? Every day. We're just trying to share Google Sheets and being bad at it. They should make a Google Sheet that works on the phone. I yeah. I mean, yes, I should probably just... I mean, the sharing part was easy. Pacing over the individual ones was This funny. is an Excel sheet. Yeah? <laughs> uh-huh. Just, just hold down shift or control, rather. Shift? I don't know. The the synchronization of listening to you tapping the keys while things slowly appear <laughs> on this Google Sheets is is really good. I'm glad. <laughs> okay, Monica, you've got eleven on here. Oh, uh You gotta cut one. Uh you can remove Pokemon. Pokemon just every Pokemon is a good Pokemon. It's a good Pokemon. It's Pokemon. <laughs> I think my Pokemon of the decade would be Pokemon Black and White. Ooh. That's actually the only Pokemon I've never finished. It's the best one. Why did you like it? I like that they made 150 new ones. I do. And you could only do those 150. That was a bold choice. That was bold. I do like that particular decision. I think that my favorite is Sun and Moon because it wished me happy birthday when everybody in my life forgot about my birthday. Wow. Oh, Sunderman was strong, was great, very refreshing. It also had the best music. Okay, so here's going to be the fun part. What we have here are the top 10 lists listed either alphabetically or roughly in release order for each member of the Book of Medora podcast. And just real quick, we're going to each read them off. Uh, Crystal, would you start with yours? Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, Dragon Age Inquisition. Final Fantasy XV, Hitman 2, 
Jackbox Party Pack 3, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, Pathologic 2, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. And on mine, Super Mario Galaxy 2, The Wonderful 101, Shovel Knight, Affordable Space Adventures, Kirby Planet Robobot, Splatoon 2, Metroid Samus Returns, Butterfly Soup, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And for mine, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Guinevere, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, Affordable Space Adventures, Super Mario Odyssey, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, Into the Breach, and Fire Emblem Three Houses. Now, since that we've established these lists that are only really meaningful as of the recording of this episode, it's worth pointing out that we've also arranged them in such a way so that we have not had to order them by perceived quality. Would that be fair to say? Yes, mine's alphabetical. And ours are roughly in release date. How would you two feel about attempting to create a single list between us? Let's do it. Woo! Okay, so here's how it's going to work. Let's each of us make our own lists ordered from best to least best. But instead of 10 games, it will be 15. Your own top 10, and then five games from either of the other two lists. Okay. Huh. And then after that, we'll assign point values based on their placement, and we'll figure out what goes in where. For ease, should I do this on your computer, or should I reach over to mine? You can do it on here real quick. Okay. Well, you go first. No, no, no. Go ahead. I take forever to decide. You know who doesn't take forever to decide? Crystal. (laughs) That was uh, amazing, Crystal. Thank you. Actually, I'm going to change one of mine. What did you swap in and what did you swap out? I have replaced Kirby Planet Robobot with Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. What? Uh, For right now, yeah, I'm going to do it. It is 10 o'clock. The 9 o'clock decision has passed. I also, well, I was in Excel because I ran a pivot table to see which years had more games that I liked. Right. I, I didn't really like anything much from 2014. Oh. I'm, I haven't played five games from either of your lists. You know what? That's fair enough. I feel like I deleted a game in there somewhere. Uh, oh, no. Because I managed to paste over Fire Emblem Three Houses, but also I only have ten games. This is a complete fuckero. <laughs> you failed to bold something. Was it Fury? Oh no. Oh no, now I've forgotten. Well, while you think, I'll I'll get started. I think that I'm kind of tempted to just say that we should abandon the <laughs> con- definitive list. Is this No, you got to pick one. Was it Fury? Was it Resi? It wasn't Witcher, I remember that. It might have been Donkey Kong. It might have been Donkey Kong. Crystal, you've only got nine games listed. Oh, you you two. One of us removed, deleted a row. I had ten fine. And then you, you looked at your two rows and then deleted one off of mine. No, I, I haven't been deleting rows. I've been deleting cells. Three, four, five. Oh, yeah. Six, I, I was. Let's nine, see. Ten. Okay. One of us deleted a row at some point. I'm going to say it was me. I haven't hit delete on any rows. Then it was definitely me. My okay. apologies. 
Let me just cross-reference my list. Okay. I think mine was Donkey Kong. You know, I haven't played too many from your list, Crystal, but I'm going to put things on my list from yours based on your pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Like, that was a fuck of a pitch for both Pathologic and Prey. Hmm. 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 Uh, hmm. Shuffle them in. Shuffle them in? I mean, if you want to. To the right place? Yeah. You know what? Reaching into my whole top 25 is legal. That's fine. <laughs> you did that? You just saw her do it. I, I would, No, I was focused on my list. Okay. Is that 15? I think I count 14. Five. There's one mi- on your list that's missing. Oh, f- that was Pokemon. <laughs> Again, this the problem started. Oh, you had 11. I had 10. Oh. I had 10. Okay. You two had nine all along. We had nine all along, I guess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's really strange to, to rank games of a decade just because what happened in 2010 was so removed from 2019. Like, I started this off going like, oh, these are ancient. And then I ended up with, wait, this just came out. Okay, I think we all have 15-ish. Yep, we all have 15. Ta-da! Now what do we do? I'm thinking that we should assign a point value to each of these games based on where they ranked. This is how we did the some other games. Well, it was part of the shipping list. Oh, the shipping list, yes. Eventually. Once the shipping list went utterly to shit, we did later lists this way, and it felt much more equitable. So are both of yours... uh, This one may not work the same way, though, because we're not all working off the same base. We can try. Do you have a different way that you would rather vote on this, Crystal? No, let's do it that way. I'm going to make a row near me to track my points. Okay. There, I got my points. It's 15 to 1. Now if I add in... No, do a separate separate column, Cam. Oh, Okay. That's like includes all the games. No, just like how Crystal's doing it. Uh huh. Put a column bes- between C and D. Oh, I see. And then we can we can track. How will this help? Well, then for the ones with multiple, you can add them together. Yep. So Smash, for example, has a four, a twelve, and that's it. Okay. So now I'm going to copy anything with multiples uh, above. Let's see, Pathologic 2 has multiples. Prey has multiples. Delete call. not. Thank you for doing the heavy lifting. You're welcome. Well, let's add those up for now. See, 14, 9, and 6. 29. God damn. Logic 2. Wow. 
I think that right. might instantly be the game of the decade. <laughs> see, 13, 5, and 4, which adds up to 22. 7 and 2. See, did I miss any multiples into the into the breach as one? Well? Um, no? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. Now, given how high the point values are, that we're making a top 10 list, I don't think that anything's going to make our collective top 10 unless it has well over 10 points. Mm-hmm. So we really only need to look at each of our top fives after this point. All right. So that's the last of mine. There we go. If I can make it. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Three. Oh, I think you may have missed Affordable Space Adventure. Oh, I missed that one. You've shifted me down, so... Yes, I'm aware. Okay. I, I shifted these numbers down, too. Okay. That one's going to do all right. Okay, now we just need to figure out what's what. Um, well, the highest number is Pathologic. <laughs> it was a very good pitch. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I'm okay with it as well. Are you okay with this, Crystal? Yeah. Oh. Here, let's create a bunch of rows here. So we have room to put all those multiples in one column. Somehow I suspect a pivot table would, would resolve this. Probably. In Excel. But I mean, we're just fooling around. It's fine. Okay. I'm just going to delete Resi because that's not going to make us delete nope. some of the low ones. And Mass Effect ain't going to make it. I'm enjoying this list. Oh, what happened? I, I'm also deleting things that definitely won't make it into the top 10. Okay. Now we can sort it. We did. Yeah. Well, that's fine. So, the collective best games of the decade, according oh, to. Is that we need to check it against some of the single ones, right? I included most of the single ones. Okay. You can see that Sekiro's there at 15. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy 2 is at 14. Wonderful 101 has 13. Guinevere and Dragon Age Inquisition both have 12. Okay, so let's read off our own lists first. Okay, uh, I guess I'll start for this one. My top 15 of the decade, which th this has gotten stranger and stranger the further we get into it. We may have to revisit this for potential future episodes. Um, at number 15, Metroid Samus Returns. Number 14, Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. Number 13, Affordable Space Adventures. Number 11, uh, 12. Wait, hold on. 15, 14, 13, 12, Resident Evil 7, Biohazard. 11, Prey. 10, Butterfly Soup. 9, Splatoon 2. 8, Donkey Kong, Tropical Freeze. 7, Pathologic 2. Six, Super Mario Odyssey. Five, Fire Emblem, Three Houses. Four, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Three, The Wonderful 101. Two, Super Mario Galaxy 2. One, Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight was the best game of the decade. Crystal? Uh, fifth, no, these are 15, Castlevania Lords of Shadow. 14, Donkey Kong Country, Tropical Freeze. 13, Resident Evil 7, Biohazard. 
Uh, 12, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. 11, The Jackbox Party Pack. 3, 10, Final Fantasy XV. 9, Assassin's Creed IV Black Flag. 8, Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain. 7, Mass Effect 3. 6, Hitman 2. 5, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. 4, Dragon Age Inquisition. 3, Prey. 2, Pathologic 2. And number 1, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, number 1 game of the decade. <laughs> uh, 15, Into the Breach. 14, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. 13, Metroid Samus Returns. 12, Prey. 11, Splatoon 2. 10, Pathologic 2. 9, Pokemon. Just, just Pokemon. <laughs> 8, Kirby's Epic Yarn. 7, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. 6, Affordable Space Adventures. 5, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. 4, Guinevere. 3, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. 2, Super Mario Odyssey. 1, Fire Emblem Three Houses. That's about right. Fire Emblem Three Houses was the best game of the decade. And we have also ended up with a collective top 15 for the entire Book of Medora, which looks nothing like I imagined it would look coming into this <laughs> podcast, which means it worked out the way it should have, and we can all walk away satisfied. I, I love this ranking system. Crystal, do you like it? Yes, I like it. Great. We have, I'm sorry, this is a top 14. Pathologic 2 is ranked twice. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, well, isn't the one, two, Well, isn't Layton tied with Skyrim? Uh, we're going to say yes. Yes. Okay. I think that's that's good to go now, then. Will you do the honors, Crystal? No. No? So, no. Shall we break this into like five each? Uh, yeah, let's do five each. Okay. I will start. At number 15 is The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Number 14 is Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. Number 13 is Guinevere. Number 12 is Dragon Age Inquisition. Number 11 is Affordable Space Adventures. At number 10, The Wonderful 101. At number 9, Super Mario Galaxy 2. At number 8, The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. At number 7, Shovel Knight. At number 6, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. At number 5, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. At number 4, Prey. Number three, Super Mario Odyssey. Number two, Fire Emblem Three Houses. And number one, the greatest game of the 2010s, Pathologic 2. I can say with complete confidence, I had no idea this list was going to look anything fucking like this. Woo! But I feel like it's a pretty good list. It definitely doesn't look like every other list of this type, I don't think. No. There's a fair amount of... Can we mark the amount of indie games on here? Uh, I mean, there aren't a, actually a ton. There are. I don't think Pathologic counts as an indie game. Shovel Knight. It does. Oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, okay. In that case, we've got Pathologic, Shovel Knight, uh, Affordable Space Adventures, Guinevere, which is made by just one fucking person. 
That's four. That's uh, that's t- over twenty five percent. That's not bad. Yeah. I can't believe that Guinevere ranked above Butterfly Soup, though. Oh goddamn! I really liked Guinevere. That's true. You did. So, how do you feel about this list, Crystal? That's a pretty solid list. It must look a little bit odd to you because so you didn't play so many of the games that we played. That's true, but also that's good. Yeah, to have a diverse list. There is variety here. Also, the games that you liked ended up really high. That's true. I was glad about that. <laughs> okay. So, do we want to do this for other decades as well? I would. Yeah, let's do it for other decades as well. Okay. So, we'll, uh, I'll try and see if I can get a better design document for this coming into the next episode. <laughs> and okay. Should we just stick with 10? Should, should we stick with... I think we should stick with 10. Let's do 10. Let's do 10. Okay. <laughs> We can talk. We can like talk about it. We can bring little lists of uh, honorable mentions, and we just mention them by name. But we'll try to be much more cut offy for this. I think that for our next episode, the aughts, it should be the aughts, right? Go back in time. The O's. Yeah, the O's. The O's. Um, I think that our list might look a little bit more similar compared to the teens. You think so? We'll Only see. Time will tell. Only time will tell. This was fun. This was fun. But I'm tired. Holy shit, that's two and a half hours. (laughs) Well, a lot of that's going to be edited out. Right. We were talking for most of the time, except for the times we were clicking. I'm sorry to have taken up so much of your time, Crystal, but I did really enjoy doing all this. Yeah, me too. How do we feel about going back uh, and doing the aughts, the 90s, and the 80s? Let's. What about the 70s? Well, see, there weren't any Zelda games released in the 70s. Uh, That's true. And the grand goal of this. And ultimately, this is a Book of Medora thing. So we're still covering the era of The Legend of Zelda, the four-decade history. And yes, of course, for Monica, the ultimate goal is to take all these lists and then see where Zelda games would slot into them. Uh Uh-huh. How do you feel about that as a finale, Crystal? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. My original idea was just to leave Zelda off of it completely. No. Okay. It was never going to be. Okay. Maybe that can be like the fifth episode, Zelda ruins all the other lists. (laughs) And then you make an all-time list. Then you make an all-time list. Oh, yeah, All-time yeah, yeah. from the 80s. What's that? All-time since the 80s. All-time since the 80s. The all-time for the era of Zelda. 1980 to 2019. Yes. We're still waiting for the next Zelda. <laughs> or do you want to start at 86? No, I think that we should cover the entirety of the 80s, because that's still part of that era. Okay. Because, I mean, like, the last four years of the 80s were super wild. Or last five years, I suppose. Last four years. I'm bad at number. Anyway, um, but I I think it's more fun to include the entire thing. You weren't even born until like 1993, right? That's correct. Yeah, we'll go at least 13 years before you were born. This will be fun. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I wonder if I can fit any of my birthday games in there. I bet I can fit a couple. Like birth year? Yeah, birth year games. I can. Yeah, I know you can. Well, less because we're not including The Legend of Zelda. Oh, darn. <laughs> and you didn't like the first Metroid. That's no, okay. Anyway, I think that's about it. And we're probably too tired to go through any emails or anything. Yeah. 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 Crystal, where can we find you online? At Arcane Crystal. Is that on Twitter? Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to give you money to listen to podcast episodes early, where would I go? At Arcane Crystal on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash arcane crystal. And you can find me on Twitter at Cam Ryder. Don't look for Monica. She's not on social media. Piss off. 
And if you have any questions, suggestions, or reactions to our objectively very interesting <laughs> best of the 2010s list, send them to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com because at some point we're going to get back around to reading those damn emails. We promise to read your email. We Maybe did. not aloud, but we will read them. Yeah, we'll read them all. We may not read all of them on the podcast, but we do read all the emails. And I think in the next episode, we'll go faster now that we have a process. Now, yes. Yeah, now that we have a process and we will end up having a form to do this in. Maybe we should enforce 10 next time. Oh, we're enforcing it. Uh-huh. It'll be a thing. I'm sorry that I misunderstood and brought 25. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. It's okay. Next time, we won't do it. Next time, we'll go better. Okay. It's a learning experience. It's okay. <laughs> Don't cry. All right. Y'all want to hear a 2010s joke? Yeah. I ain't got any. The 2010s were depressing. All uh, right. Good night, everybody. Oh, there's surely some sort of a joke. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, This is where you insert like a fashion trend or- Oh, I see. Okay. You want to hear uh, about a joke from the 2010s. Yes. But it's like, yeah. what, what, there wasn't anything for fashion in the 2010s. It's like, no, th- there was. It's just uh, none of it is funny in 2020. Yeah. yeah. We got to wait a little I mean, bit. I mean, <laughs> we can do uh, 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 a much doggy for uh, like the 90s fashion was funny in the 90s. Okay. 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 Uh, what was the funniest thing in the twentieth in the twenty tens? Like, what was the funniest piece of media? Was anything Pro- funny? Probably a vine. Probably a vine. God, probably I miss vine. vine. Let's just say vine collectively. All right. And maybe uh, uh, back at it again at the Krispy Kreme. Back at it again at the Krispy Kreme. Whack. <laughs> God. It's just that you can't you can't tell that as a joke. Humor has simply evolved to a higher form. Uh, everyone go watch that Vine. Everyone go- Yeah, go Google back at it again at the Krispy Kreme Vine. Yeah, that's it. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>